uh, Joni Erickson. She herself is a quadriplegic. This is a few years ago, of course. But she was a spectator at the Los Angeles Special Olympics. Her husband, Ken, was the coordinator for the track and field event. Joni was among a large crowd watching all the participants prepare for the 50-meter running race. The starter gun went off, and the contestants started to race towards the finish line. As they rushed towards the finish line, one boy left the track and started running toward his friend standing in the infield. Ken blew his whistle, trying to get the boy to come back to the track, but wasn't successful. Then one of the other competitors noticed you know, this, this, this little girl that had Down syndrome. She, she stopped just short of the finish line and called out to the boy. She said, stop, come back, it's this way. Hearing the voice of her friend, the boy stopped and looked. Come back this way, she called. The boy stood there, confused. His friend, realizing that he was confused, left the track, brought the boy back. She linked arms with him, and together they ran the rest of the track to the finish line. They were the last to cross the line, but they were greeted with hugs and cheers from all their fellow competitors and a standing ovation in the crowds. This little girl had taught everyone that day an important like life lesson. That's important to sometimes take time out to form your own goals in life but it's also just as important to help those find their way. We finish, I I, want to say, I would like to say I'm finished this series today. I am, so don't worry, there's not like bonus sermons coming down the pike. But we are finishing this nine-week series today. And we... Wanted to finish off, I really wanted to finish off chapter 12 well, which is what we did. But if we look at chapters 13 and 14, we see how Paul is engaging the people of this church about submitting to authorities. Very, what, very much what Jesus said, you know, when Jesus was asked, like, do we pay taxes? And, and, this, and Jesus said, well, here, catch that fish and open the fish up. And he saw this coin and he said, what, what is the head on the coin? And he said, oh, it's the emperor. And he says, you, you pay what is Caesar his due. And he says, you need to submit to the authorities that God has placed over you. And then in chapter 14, he talks about how it's important not to let your brother or your sister stumble in their walk with Christ. And I wanted to finish today in Romans 15. So if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to look at a very short text in Romans 15. Don't worry, we'll do Romans 16, 19 later. But Romans 15, verses 1 to 7. 
Romans 15, big 15, verses 1 to 7. We who are strong have an, what, an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance, through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may be one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Context plus content equals meaning. In our, these first three verses that we see, we see that they are this idea of the strong and the weak. And, and someone can go, well, what's the context on? But it's something that we need to remember that there was these Jewish Christians at the very beginning. They, they experienced this Pentecost and they go back to Rome and they, they plant this church. And for years they establish this church but then the Caesar at the time kicks them out, and what's left in the church is these Gentiles, the non-Jew believers, new in their faith. They don't have a, a background of the Torah. They don't have a background of the Old Testament. They're, all this Jesus and Christianity is brand new to them. Some would might say that they are weak, and that the Jewish Christians were the strong ones. But I looked at this text this morning, and I looked at our congregation, I look at people that I see walking down the street. I don't know if you notice, I have a bench out here on the sidewalk, a footpath, sorry. I call it John's Bench. I don't know if you know that. And I was saying to Calvin, I said, instead of paying it, painting it gray. I wanted to paint it yellow because that's our, our accent color as you can see. And then someone said, oh, you should just write on it, John's bench. I said, well, why is it John? I'm John and I sit on that bench often. Sometimes when I'm trying to think through a scripture, it makes no sense for me to sit in my office surrounded by books. I need to be out where I see people where I think this text means something. So I'll, a lot of times, and you can ask my staff, I'll sit out on my bench with my cup of coffee and I'll just think and pray. And people like pull up and they nod and I'm like, hey, what's going on? There are people that have strong areas. There are areas that you, you don't struggle with anymore. And there's some areas for some of you that you 
are weak. Examples for me is I don't have I don't have a weakness when it comes to vaping. I don't vape. I don't need to vape. I, I don't smoke anymore. I, I it's not a weakness for me. If, if if someone when we walk through vaping, we usually cough because I don't like the smell of watermelon and nicotine. And that's a joke, people. Um, but it's for me, um, another area I don't, I don't struggle with is I don't struggle with gambling. I, I, I don't need to play video um, casino games on my phone. I, I, don't, I can go buy a casino and, and have dinner there and not feel this urge to go to the blackjack table. I can go to a pub and, and enjoy a, a rabbit stew and a pint of beer. And that's okay. Maybe, maybe it was for your language. Or maybe it's purchasing things at the mall or playing video games. But maybe you have a weakness, Pastor John. And, and I'm not saying let's do a poll and see where everyone's weak, but but I know that the statistics are here that I could just look up very quickly that in, in any given social room or, or, or group, there are people that struggle with lust and pornography. And it's not just a, a male-dominated thing. Women struggle as well. Some of you, one of your weaknesses is that you play violent video games. Or you hoard things in your homes. Or you buy things that you cannot afford. Now, John, that's like, that's, that, that's just, ouch, right? I don't have people come over to my house because my house is from top to bottom filled with emotional things that I need. Hoarding. That's a struggle for some of you. Where we are is to, quote, bear with one another. This literally means is to carry one another, to, to lift them up. Not to look over them and go, oh, man, you're weak in that area. Sucks to be you. That's not bearing with one another. It's literally going to the person and meeting where they're at, knee to knee, eye to eye, and go, how can I help you? Do you need help? We are to please. The Greek word is aresko. To literally accommodate oneself to the opinions, desires, and interests so that we can build them up in goodness. Um, halfway through college, I got saved. So we're talking about our salvation story. I went... Um, to a technical, polytechnical school called the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. And I was studying groundwater engineering or hydrogeological engineering. So basically well water. And when I got, this is like 94. This is, and I got saved in 95. It'd be like minus 30 degrees where, I, where we lived. It was Edmonton, Alberta. And we had the engineering building. 
And my friend Tom, Tom was about 10 years older than me. He'd worked in the oil rigs for a while, and he got to the point where he just couldn't keep up physically, so he went back to school, and he just decided to do water instead of oil. So Tom and I were classmates, and there were times where um, we would smoke him when you got him. We'd go for our smoke break, and we'd be sit, standing outside, freezing, being cold, and just, <laughs> just you know, you have mercy on us, right? Like, people, would just, people non-smokers would go, oh my gosh, you look silly. But we'd be out there and, and t- complaining about our homework and our assignments, Tom said something to me, and he wasn't a Christian, and neither was I. But he said something that, to this day, stuck out. He said, he goes, hey, John, um, like, do you, like, listen to yourself? Have you ever had that said to you? Have you ever listened to yourself? I said, well, why? He goes, because I have a hard time understanding the words that come out of your mouth. And I, and I was about, then I'm about to like yell at him and scream at him. And he goes, no, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being serious. He goes, you swear so much that I don't think you grasp the English language. And I'm like, I'm like, I just get so angry at him. I'll tell you something, buddy. And I, I, I and here's this guy. I'm like, hey man, glass houses. Like, you know, like, what's the deal, bro? I was offended. As Tom swore, and, and in my opinion, just as much, I think. But in a moment, before I was even a Christian, that word convicted me. I didn't feel shame, but it was a conviction on me. I think he was trying to, in essence, come from a place of strength and weakness. He was trying to build me up. He was trying to please me, trying to, to like come and carry me and go, bro, you're a young guy, but you sound like a complete fool when you, when you try to talk all the time with swear words. And I'm like, oh, hey, that's not very nice. But he was trying to build me up. And he, was, he saw in, that I didn't need to swear as much to get my point across. When I finally, a year later, became a follower of Jesus, my language started to shift. As because I was told, I was told from a pastor or preacher, he said, "Do you you need to begin to honor the Lord and honor yourself, honor your relationship with God." Not because you're, you're changing language for other people. That's just behavior modification. But you want to honor God with the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you, do you want to be a leader with respectable language? People will not follow a person that's swearing up every second word. Can I still swear? Yes! It's permissible, but it's not always beneficial. Don't worry if you come over to my house so I'm not dropping F-bombs every two minutes. I also just don't anymore. Not just because of my convictions, but I also believe that lest a younger brother stumbles. 
I would hate for me to have a conversation over the phone and, and a new a young Christian guy comes in and he hears me dropping like crazy F-bombs and this, that, and the other. All of a sudden, what if he goes, well, if it's good for Pastor John, it must be okay for me. You know, it's interesting, in Romans 14, verse 20, he says this, do not for the sake of food, and he was talking about how people were able to eat things. He goes, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Or in my case, what he says that comes out of your mouth. Later, Paul in a, a letter to the city of Corinth, writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Thank God I, I don't have that problem. I love meat. But if I was surrounded by a community of vegans and vegetarians and, and it was my calling that God was calling me into, then for the sake of a relationship with God, guess what I would do? Have one last barbecue in private. And I'd eat an entire cow. And then I would then be a vegetarian for Jesus because lest one brother stumble. This is why you don't take a friend that struggles with alcohol to a pub for a chat. Yeah, I want to talk to the Bible. I'll talk to you about the Bible. Sounds good. Hey, how about we go to the pub? Okay. No, if you know that that guy struggles and he's weak in the area of alcohol and he's been trying to like leave that life, you don't go back into that life and go, you, Christ is over all things. Yeah, he is, but dude, give the guy a chance. Or take a person that has an addiction to shopping or you know, what we call retail therapy to, and like, let's go to the mall on Black Friday. Take them to the beach or to a walk in the forest. Lest they stumble, build them up. And then Paul reminds, particularly these Jewish Christians, he says, you need to embrace again what you knew from the Old Testament. It is up to you to Show these Gentile Christians the wealth and the depth of the Old Testament stories. That these are forever faithful encouragements of God's character to the pinnacle of his creation, which was humanity. Paul was a Roman, but he was also a Jew, and, and he knew his Torah, his five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He knew the Psalms and, and the wisdom literature like the Proverbs. He knew historical stories of like the judges and, and of King David and the prophets that spoke against Israel. 
He's challenging those Jewish Christians like, you, you guys have a wealth, a treasure, a taong of, 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 of understanding of God's, Yahweh's character. It's up to you to tell these other Gentile Christians about it. For most churches, we can look at some statistics, and I know these are American statistics, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're somewhat similar to New Zealand. But in 2019, um, for most churches, from evangelical all the way to Catholic, on, they will preach, on average, 90% of their sermons are in the New Testament versus 61% in the Old Testament. Is it, if you ask me, but John, is it easier to preach in the New Testament? Yes! We could do a parable sermon series pretty, pretty easily. You could do a, a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount pretty easily. But if you want to do an exegetical passus of Haggai, that's harder. J. Carl Laney, he's a master of theology, says this. Here's the reasons why we need to preach the Old Testament. He says this. The Old Testament presents great truths about God and humanity. The Old Testament provides the historical setting out of which Christianity and the New Testament emerges. Christianity just didn't emerge out of a vacuum, like it just showed up. God was moving through the people of Israel to bring forth the Messiah who would provide redemption from, the, from judgment that came on humanity because of sin. Yeshua Mehashiach, the Jesus the Messiah. The Old Testament instructs believers concerning the person and the work of Jesus, the promised Messiah. The Old Testament lays the foundation for biblical prophecy. I think we have a good here at South City, I think. Amen? One person, amen. Like with Josh and Karen, myself, and other preachers here in uh, just, I think, this last few years, maybe even just this year, but books like Judges and Esther, Ruth, Song of Solomon, I'm pointing at Josh because he did that one, Proverbs, Psalms, Exodus, Genesis, Book of Job. I think what we're wanting to do is let's tap into this treasure chest of God's character, of God's prophetic. And if you're interested, just go to South City Podcasts at Spotify and just scroll through and look for one. It's so healthy to be reading the Old Testament as it accompanies or it comes alongside the reading of the New Testament. And lastly, if you look at verses 5 to 7, Paul uses this last language as we finish our sermon series with one accord. The Greek word is homothumadon. Homothumadon. It literally means with one mind, with one accord, with one passion. It's actually a very unique Greek word. Ten out of its 12 New Testament occurrences are in the book of Acts. And it helps us understand the uniqueness to the Christian community. 
homothumadon is a compounded of two words. The first one is rush along and in unison. The image is almost musical. A number of notes are, are sounded, which while different, harmonize in pitch and tone as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of the concert master. So the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of members of Christ's church. As I was doing a YouTube search, a great example of harmony was this beautiful concert here of Vivaldi. See how the musicians are standing and they're watching each other. Look at her, she's watching. Just turn that volume up for a second. And some are not playing, some are playing. Here he's focusing on this violinist in the middle. And then here. This in unison, homothumadon, is literally that sound. We're talking master class musicians. They spent their 10,000 hours practicing this one piece. Standing, watching, finding their perfect cue. Spanning across left and right, but focusing on their, their uh, music stand. Some of them have them, some of them don't even have it. They've committed the entire piece to memory. I'm going to read these verses out while you watch this. Acts 1.14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Acts 2.46. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Acts 4.24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Watching the master class conductor as he faces and he's watching every single person weaving the many voices together in perfect, not only listening to, but also watching how they look for their cues. The stronger violinist in the middle steps out for a bit, for a, a bit of a solo, but then quickly retreats back into harmony with the concert. This is a perfect image of the body of Christ. Amen. You can, you can clap too. Okay. Jesus standing at the front and conducts our lives in concert for all the world to see and to engage with. Where we 
make mistakes or struggles or are weak with our notes, others come alongside us. Those ones that know, they steer us back, they encourage us, they build us up. And in some cases, they actually play the music for us until we get it ourselves. The maestro takes great pleasure. Jesus, our Father in heaven, the Holy Spirit, this triune God, the maestro of all, takes great pleasure when we master his music. And the only way to do it is in complete harmonious unity. When we are in unity, when we are together, we can make beautiful music. Amen? But when we are not, it is messy. I don't know if you've ever seen like a year one or beginner's concert like this. And it's, it's all over the place. People are missing their cues. And this guy, the guy with the drummer is like, bang, bang. And like, everyone's like, oh man, you're freaking me out. Like, it's just, it is a cacophony. It's just a, it's just sounds. They don't get to this in one day. It's learning. It's building one another. Not, not a person stumbling, but picking them up, building them up being under great direction, a a master maestro that knows how to weave and harmonize all the players. I love this image. Just as much as church is family, church is Vivaldi. Church is us in a concerto of harmony. This is South City C3. Not to say when I got here it was a cacophony of year ones. No, no, no. But there has been some need of the master maestro to do his work. Amen? And I look at us now and I think we're, we're, like, we're like this. We're making some beautiful music together. Our evening service is making beautiful music together. Our blast kids and our freedom and ignite are they're making beautiful music together. And so this is the truth with ancient Rome. Struggling with its diverse and sometimes polarizing culture and its people, the church members of this ancient church pull together building up one another, reminding stories of the old to give reflection to the new, and making some of the most beautiful music ever created. So this, we're not going to sing this song because that's impossible. I'm going to invite our band to come up. And I think we just love to end on a positive and energetic note of Romans 16, 19 again. Because I think we need to remind ourselves that regardless if you're doing the actions or you're not singing it right, we can make beautiful music together. Why don't we all stand?